say, God has saved me. Amen. I've attended Nazarene churches in Nebraska, where I grew up, where I went to college in Texas, where I worked for a chemical company in Colorado. Then I moved back to Colorado when IBM offered a bridge to retirement. If I was old enough and had been with the company long enough, I took that offer after serving for them 25 years. For most of those years, I did not live a Christian life. I regret to say I just resembled a Christian. I really did not serve the Lord, content to follow my favorite pianist from church to church. Recently, I began to rethink my life. People like Dick Newton, Gary Everett, Dean Claus, and others gently escalated their frequency of inquiring about my spiritual life, causing me to rethink even more about changing my attitude toward needing redemption. The Sunday School Standard paper and the Holiness Today magazine seem to make better and better sense. My attitude toward getting serious about Christianity was growing, was ripening. I asked Pastor Sid for some counseling time. This goes back a ways. But I didn't manage to pursue that conversation soon enough for it to take place before Pastor Sid retired. And that was not easy for him either. COVID-19 was part of that picture. Pastor Rusty Bryan came along after a bit. His messages were timely and instructive. I asked for some time on his schedule and took Irene with me for that discussion. There, I really got serious, and so did Pastor Rusty. With his guidance, I became a new person, an overdue change for an old Gale and a welcome conversion into a new Christian. It has been, had been more than 50 years since I'd had a meaningful relationship with God. I didn't take communion. I didn't pray with or for my family. I lived a very self-directed life. My salvation is a testimony to God's grace. Ongoing prayers and promptings from friends at church and the encouragement of Pastor Rusty, a servant of the Lord who cared for me and led me to confirmation of my redemption. Irene had been waiting a long, long time, hoping I would shape up. She wanted us to be baptized together someday. Most of you know probably that wish was celebrated a few weeks back. Thank you to the many folks who helped warm and prepare the baptismal waters. Special heartfelt thanks to Pastor Rusty for applying those waters to the both of us. I thank you for your time this morning. I love Jesus. Thank you. That was that was tough. You didn't want to come up here, but we want we need to hear testimonies. 
Growing up in the church, we used to have testimony services. And people used to just talk about the uh, what God has done. So God bless you, sir. May I pray with you. Now, audience or congregation, stretch your hand out. Father God, we just lift Gail and Irene to you. We thank you for the movement of the Holy Spirit and the people in his life, and especially his wife, that were a constant testimony to him that brought him to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We now lift him to you. And Irene, pray God that you would bless them, that you would become nearer and more personal to him each day. We thank you, Father God, that you're still moving in lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. I don't need to preach. We can just close. As far as I'm concerned, we've, uh, we've, did I hear an amen? <laughs> All right, gee, it's only been two weeks, and they're already amening me off the, off the platform. That's all right. <clears throat> anyway, uh, good morning. Uh, uh, this week, I, I know they mentioned the, the prayer devotional. Um, as you know, uh, we're coming up to a time that, you know, really, the, 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 for most Protestant churches, uh, the Catholic faith puts a greater emphasis on the Lenten season, on that 40 days, you know, leading up to Easter. But uh, this is this prayer devotional kind of walks you through uh, of devotion and, and Bible scripture reading and study and reflection um, through the uh, the 40 days leading up to Lent. The Lenten season is a 40 day period. It's reflection and spiritual renewal that begins on Ash Wednesday, which is this Wednesday. And as you know, if you if you grew up um, in a town which we did, uh, my wife and I grew up together. You know, there are churches of every faith, and they, the, the 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 Catholic children would come with the ashes on their on their forehead because they had gone to a service on Ash Wednesday, and that is a preparation um, for that. It does not include the Sundays, so it's it doesn't include Sundays. So if you're doing the math, you're going. Okay, wait a second. This is more than 40. Um, but 40 is a significant number in the Bible. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. The Israelite wandered in the desert for 40 years. So it's a significant time um, of, of reflection and leading up and preparation of our hearts, uh, of course, to celebrate, to me, the greatest celebration of the Christian faith. Christmas is fine, but we can't leave Jesus in the, in the, in the manger. We can't. Jesus, as cute as he is, I'm sorry, you can't leave Jesus in the manger. You have to get him to the cross and resurrected for the Christian faith to be valid. And that's not even my message this morning. You even look at even the sound booth is putting my first slide up to go, okay, let's get on with it. We've got lunch plans. Um, so take a look at this booklet and think about you know, as you move towards it. And also remember that since Ash Wednesday is Wednesday, Tuesday is Mardi Gras, which is, of course, French for Fat Tuesday. So make sure you get your jelly-filled donuts and punch keys and gorge yourself and do all the things you... And then you're going to have to give something up for Lent. So I'm giving up liver and onions for Lent. Um, in fact, as a Protestant, I used to thought it was called Lent. And I could not figure out why the Catholics were celebrating Lent. But anyway, <clears throat> so let's take a look at the message this morning. This is a... This is a hard passage. All things work together for good. Do they? Do all things work together for good? We have a, um, 
a tendency as Christians to redefine Romans 8.28 and kind of put it into our own words. Let's go take a look at this. This are some different versions. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. And that's the NIV, uh, the Nazarene International Version. Um, and we know that to them that love God, all things work together for good, even to them who are called according to His purpose. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. And that's the New King James Version. Now, if we take a look at this verse, we have a tendency to write our own verbiage within that. For instance... All things work together exactly the way they want them to, to them that are love God. We, we look at all things work together for good. All things work together exactly the way I want them to. Or, this verse must mean all things work together so that everyone gets treated fairly. Or, all things work together so that other people get what they deserve. Or, all things work together so that no one gets hurt. And finally, all things work together so that everything makes sense. And if you're a believer, you know that when you ask the Lord into your heart, God doesn't put a bubble around you, a dome, and protects you from everything. And there's never any crisis in your life, heartache, sickness, relational issues, financial issues. You just put a little protective bubble in everything you live happily ever after. If you're told that when you accept the Lord, then someone is misguiding you. Because God and Jesus himself says, in this world, you will have trouble. But his second part was, I have overcome the world. Being a Christian doesn't take away our problems. It helps us as we move through them. It doesn't exempt us from problems. So, I, I heard a message years ago on Romans 8.28. Because as a Christian, I, I was saved when I was 11 years old. My dad led me to the Lord. And I have struggled with this verse because I see it and I go, what is the good? What, is it, what does it mean everything works together for good? Because I know what good is. It's one of these I just said. The way I want them to, everything works out the way I think it should be. Everybody gets treated fairly, no one gets hurt. Everything is as that should be. That's not what it means. And I heard a message from a pastor by the name of Rick Ferguson. He was the pastor of Riverside Baptist Church. <clears throat> for those of you that are familiar with Denver, it used to be the big church that sat up on the hill right before the old Mile High Stadium. Big, huge Baptist church, growing church. Rick was a, a amazing pastor. He had a radio uh, broadcast that he spoke on, and he spoke on this, and I was driving, listening to it. I tried to make a mental note of the four points. Oh, by the way, you know the handout. My handouts are, are full-blown study guides, so I, I hope it doesn't get too confusing. I hope you will use them as a devotional uh, through the week. So we're going to only focus on the... Just if you could think of the four main points and not all the other stuff. But he talked about the four main points. You know, what is the good in Romans 28? And I, it just it spoke to my heart. I tried to memorize the four points. I think I had one of my little recorders in the car that I used to drive around and, and do notes and things and ideas. A couple months later, I, I was listening to the, the show, that his radio broadcast, and it was someone else on it. And they were talking about the fact that Pastor Rick Ferguson and his son were driving to Kansas, somewhere in Kansas, to go to a college. I don't know if they were looking at a college, if he was taking his son back to college. The son was driving, lost control of the car, the car crashed, and Pastor Rick was killed, and his son survived. And his son was now living with the guilt of having driven the car that killed his father. And I'm going back to that verse, and they were, or that message, they were referring to that message. 
a pastor with a thriving church and a loving Christian family, a son. We don't know what happened. I don't have the details, and I'm not here to make up or, or, or surmise of the details. We're son driving and always has that guilt, had that guilt about being the one driving that killed his father. The church healed. The church did amazing things in response to that. But I thought, boy, if there's, he just spoke on everything. How can this be good? How in the world could this be good? And I went back to that recording and I said, I've got to delve into these four points. And so I, I, I researched and put time in studying the scriptures and said, Lord, I need to understand what these four things mean. These, the, this, in this message, of course, and I've come to believe that it's true, this is what it means for all things work together for good or the good. First one, anything that weakens the flesh is good. Romans says, rather than clo- rather close yourselves with the Lord, clothe yourselves with the Lord, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Even though we have been saved, we still wrestle with the original sin nature. And yes, the Nazarene Church believes in a second work of grace, of sanctification, but we wrestle with sin. We wrestle with the flesh. So what does weakening the flesh mean? The desires of the flesh lead to sin. James is very clear. James is a tough book. You want to study a book? That's got a lot of tough theology in it. It's James. James says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. This was a harbor because, you know, Christians, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to keep you from sin. So if you sin as a Christian, you're sinning intentionally. Because you shouldn't be sinning by mistake if the Holy Spirit is guiding your life. And that just was like a thunk right through me. We have the Holy Spirit to keep us from sinning. We know what sin is and we have the Holy Spirit and yet our human carnal nature begins to take over. What is the flesh? Pride, greed, lust, selfishness, deceit, immorality, envy. You can go on and on to what, those, what the flesh is. And the verses in Galatians 5, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, uh, jealousy, fits of rage. It goes on and on of what the acts of the flesh are. Christ did not die for us so that we would continue to live any way we want to. So I say, the spirit, the, the, the verse in Galatians, so I say, walk by the Spirit, And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. And so as as, as believers, we are continually bombarded in our society to satisfy the desires of the flesh. It may be greedy. You may want a bigger house, a bigger car. You hear that a lot. But it may be envy. It may be anger. It may be jealousy. There may be things that, you know, it may be inappropriate things coming out of your mouth or in your mind. You may be exposing yourself to inappropriate things. And we are drawn to satisfy that. So sometimes God steps in and if there's something that happens, it's meant to weaken that in our flesh. I was riding pretty high in 2002. I was the director of marketing uh, for the Americas for a company called Sun Microsystems. Very large computer company. If anybody's in the technology field has heard of Sun, they're now part of Oracle. I also, at the same time, had a Sunday school class that we had to meet in the sanctuary because it was over 100 people. 
in my Sunday school class. I was making more money than I had ever made before. And I was pretty proud of all of that. And two things happened. I had a custom home was being built, and then I lost my job. And shortly after that, I had a heart attack. All within six months of each other. We lost the house. We lost our deposit. I lost my job. I lost my group life insurance. I couldn't get insured because of my, of my health. And I remember sitting down with Dave Ralph. You know Dave Ralph. And uh, Stan Reeder was, was the pastor at that time. And he said, you know, Mark, he goes, your Sunday school class is larger than 60% of the churches on the district. And the pride... God put Debbie and I through that. I am convinced to weaken my pride because it was uh, everything was just amazingly well, and I was proud of it. I, <clears throat> thankfully, I didn't go out on the balcony like King Nebuchadnezzar and said, "Look at all this I built with my hands." Because then I've been seven years as a donkey eating grass. <laughs> so I'm guessing a heart attack and losing my job is better than that. But sometimes things happen to weaken that flesh and to move you in a direction. I told you this could be a hard message, but I think people need to hear it. Because all of us are going through something. I know there's, I know there's true. I don't know every story in the church family, but I know there are people struggling. I read the, I got put on the prayer chain email. Lord have mercy. I get 52 emails a day from Bernice. <laughs> Bless her heart. And I'm just, it's not, I'm not, it's not a complaint. And I just look at that. I go, how can one church have this many problems? <laughs> you know, it's like, God didn't promise us a rose garden. Thank you to whoever sang that song. I can't remember. I beg your pardon me. Thank you. Jesus said, I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. But sometimes he puts us through things or allows things. God's not a vindictive, you know, hateful God, but allows things to kind of just weaken that flesh. I know flesh, you think of skin and, you know, meat, but I'm talking about flesh as the carnal nature. Strive to keep your mind pure. I'm going to have to speed through this because we're already 11.20. I'm sorry. Um, uh, Strive to keep your mind pure, your body clean. I think it's the next slide. Uh, And your priorities straight. We can go on with those verses of Philippians. uh, Think on these things. Uh, Your body clean. uh, Your mind clean. Don't you know your bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit? Use the handout. The the verses are all there. And your priorities straight. You know, your, your heart is where your treasure is. Keep your priorities straight. And sometimes things will happen to us and it will help us get over or conquer some area in our life that where the carnal or the flesh nature has taken over. Okay, the next thing. What else is, what is the good? Anything that increases our dependency on Christ is good. Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus, when we quit depending on ourselves, our talents, our abilities, our money, our looks, well, I don't have to depend upon my looks, um, luck, power, I was doing a Rodney Dangerfield with, with Jan. It's just like, you know, as we used to say, yeah, I was so ugly when I was a kid. My dad carried around the picture of the kid with the wallet that came with the wallet. You know, yeah, here's my kid. Um, power, opportunities, your job. 
Only then does our dependency on Christ increase and we quit depending on those. I had depended on all three of those to define me. And I stopped depending on Christ. I was just doing it under all the talents and gifts and charisma and everything else that I thought was just hunky-dory. There's my mom speaking through me. Hunky-dory. Anybody remember the the phrase hunky-dory? Okay. I don't know either one of them. Hunky or dory. In fact, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10 talks about Paul's thorn in the flesh. The flesh. Think about Paul, how, how successful of an evangelist he was. And yet he says, God gave me a thorn in the flesh to keep me humble and to keep me depending on Him. So Paul, world's greatest evangelist, second only to Billy Graham, the world's greatest evangelist, said, God gave me something that I have to put up with every day so that I never forget to depend on Him. So when you see that, that's what happens. We are earthen vessels. Another King James Version. Our weakness can bring us to the point of breaking so that the power of Christ may be evident. And if you're going through something, look at this verse. But we have these treasures, these, these treasures of God and Christ and the Holy Spirit and His blessings and power, but we have them in earthen vessels, breakable jars that you drop and it smashes to show us that His all-surpassing power is from God and not us. And I have been in verse 8 and 9. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed or confused or anxious, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. So those are, that's the second thing. Sometimes we go through things where God allows it, and the good is that it increases our dependency on Christ. The third thing. Anything that causes us to become more Christ-like is good. First John says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and we know we will be, and, we, and what we will be has not yet been known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is, and all who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. The Christian has the hope of seeing Jesus again. When Jesus comes back, I've been talking to a number of people on the church board about the next couple, three weeks of doing some prophetic end times messages just to kind of set a stage that we, you know, we are in the end times. We are approaching the time when Christ will appear in the sky and gather the believers together to Him. Amen. Amen. It's what we look forward to. It is our hope. But on earth, we are to strive to become more like Christ-like. Yes, when we are finally with Him, we will be as He is. Our bodies will be transformed. Oh, wait till Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. I got a resurrection message. It'll knock your socks off. Resurrection is the thing that cements our Christian faith. Because resurrection, without the resurrection, Paul, yep, here's message, little mini message number two. Without resurrection, Paul says, our faith is worthless and we are to be pitied. You know, ha, 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 you Christians think, you know, what? no, resurrection is it. It means we have something to hope for and we shall become like Christ. Our bodies will be changed in an instant into a supernatural form that can survive eternity. There's a little snippet right there. Do you know that's why we have to be transformed? These bodies can't last. We've got to be transformed so we can survive eternity. 
So there's just, I'm sorry, I'm just, whew, okay. What characteristics of Christ's likeness does God desire to produce in us? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness and humility, gentleness and pa- oh, patience. Oh, they, you know what they always say? They always say, don't pray for patience. Because if you pray to God for patience, He's going to have to give you stuff to try the patient. You know, because you won't know if you're patient, it never happens. Apparently, coming to church today, I was driving along um, Ken Pratt, and someone pulled out of the hospital and was long next to me trying to get into the lane. I didn't increase my speed. I didn't slow down my speed. I just was driving. And this car whipped up next to me and looked at me and expected me to do something to let her in. I didn't do anything. I just stayed at the same pace. There was room in front of me. There was room behind me. She didn't speed up. She didn't slow down. Just matched the speed of my car. And I honestly didn't think of it. I just glanced over and kept driving. Finally, at the last second, she pulled forward and cut me off, had rolled the window down, looked at me, uttered some holy words, gave me the symbol of oneness with her left hand, and sped on through. And I was like, Lord, what did I do? You know, I'm not sure what I did, but the point is, is that I am not a very patient person, and, and, I sh- and the Lord kept me from being really angry at this individual, but if she had pulled and cut me off and I had to stop, oh, there would be a different thing. I'm not a good driver, thankfully only the Debbie, which I have to apologize to my wife all the time for my lack of patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together. And there's all of these verses for the next couple slides. The first thing is holiness. God is a holy God. When someone says, how can a loving God send people to hell? God first doesn't send people to hell. He, they choose, but God is a holy God. He can't be in the presence of sin. It's His love and mercy that provided the salvation in order to have the relationship with Him. So God does not send people to hell. They refuse God's gift of love and grace and mercy. But He is a holy God, and we are called to be holy people. I struggle with that every day, especially as a Nazarene district licensed pastor. I mean, we are, have to sign a statement that we are, are striving to live a holy life. I have to go and interview to a pastoral board in three weeks and you know, bear my soul and tell them what I'm doing and, and things so that they stamp my pastor's license for another year. But I, I, one of the statements is, are you trying and endeavoring to live a sanctified, holy life? I mean, that is, that is what God wants us. We're not perfect, but it should be a goal. Humility. Huh, I told you how my humility was shot, although I have a little bit of confidence still. The next one, compassion. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Christ was so compassionate. And finally, love. Love for others, especially fellow believers. I love that. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And since God loved us, we should also love one another. But there's also passages in Ephesians 4, 15, 16, talking about loving those within the church family. Look around you. This is where the love starts. The love starts when your own family, then your church family, and that family, that love goes out to the world. But we need to love each other. 
We are a body of believers and every single part does its, every single member does its part to bring and to build the body up. That's why we have ministries to build the body of the Lord up and the church to go out and to make disciples and reach the lost. We need to care and tend for each other. I use that um, example of how many people have ever stubbed their toe or hit their elbow. Okay? Worst thing in the world. I mean, you hit your elbow or you stub your toe, the entire body focuses on that hurting part. I mean, you just, your eyes water, your your legs get weak, your mouth says things it shouldn't, whatever happens, everything focuses on that throbbing elbow or that throbbing toe. That's what it should be like in the church family. When someone's hurting, the entire body should be focused on helping that get better. You know, praying, supporting, loving, etc. Okay, there's like three mini-sermons at all this. Last one. Anything that brings glory to God is good. Whatever is for His glory is always the best for us. His glory and our good are never in conflict. What is glory? Honor, praise, adoration, greatness, majesty, splendor, thanksgiving, on and on those definitions of glory. And giving God the credit as the source. I love this passage in the Psalms. Help me, Lord, my God. Save me according to your unfailing love. And let them know that it is your hand that you, Lord, have done it. That's what we want. We want the Lord to see what goes on. I had someone come up to me when we went through this unemployment um, thing. And Debbie and I were struggling. And people were gracious. They were so generous. The first time I uh, remember my Sunday school class handed me a check for $500 and just said, you know, we've been praying and God blessed us in our business. And we want to help you and Debbie out. I was so humbled. I just, I couldn't believe that, that this was happening. And then later on, I had a, a, a couple come and said, you know, our daughter, last night we were praying, she's in college. And she said, you know, my, my dad, I don't understand, but Mark and Debbie just seem to still have this wonderful spirit, even though they're struggling. She says, and I just want to pray for them. And I'm not trying to brag, because believe me, I had times where my spirit wasn't so wonderful. But to this individual, God was getting the glory for how we were handling the circumstances that we were going through. Everything we do should glorify God. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Next slide. Acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord. Folks, do not be afraid in this culture to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the only way. Do not back down on that one thing. Do not say, well, there's other ways to heaven. There's other gods. No, Jesus Christ is the only way. And then living a Christ-like life glorifies God. And you see the the Scripture passages there. Um, We need to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. And so I'm going to... You weren't going to pray to God be the glory, were you? You, Do you have to God be the glory? Okay, so we're going to sing that, Pat, that's that, uh, not the whole song, but Andre Crouch growing up. Andre Crouch had some great songs. And we're just going to end this, this message with the song, To God Be the Glory. And just the, just the, um, uh, the chorus. We don't need to do all the verses and stuff because I know them, but I don't know if everybody else does. And if I mess up, we may be singing something else. It's in our hymnal? What page? Page 35. I love it when the plan comes together.
Of course, I'm going to need a hymnal so I don't make a mistake. So great, we're going to turn to hymn number 35. Boy, you haven't. You don't hear that in many churches. Okay. I know this is, I'm not a soloist by any stretch, so if you want to turn the mic off, that's too. It's, huh? No, it's 35, my tribute. Yep, it's my tribute. Yeah, it's my tribute. It's, yeah, yeah it, it's, that's, that's my heading was to God be the glory, but the song is my tribute. Yep, okay. Okay, how can I say thanks for the things you have done? Let's stand up. Things so undeserved, yet you give to prove your love for me. The voices of, of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to Thee. To God be the glory, to God be the glory, to God be the glory for the things He has done with His blood. He has saved me with His power. He has raised me. To God be the glory for the things He has done. Just let me live my life. Let it be pleasing, Lord, to Thee. And should I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. With His blood, He has saved me. With His power, He has raised me. To God be the glory for the things He has done. Father God, thank You. Thank You for Your love and Your mercy and Your Word. Help us as we read this verse. But all things work together for the good. May it be the definition, Your definition of the good. Give us strength, courage, Father, love and mercy. We ask these things in Jesus' name. We look forward to His return. Amen.